what I've got now, with a bit more time on my hands, is an absolutely fantastic city to enjoy that I didn't have 25 years ago. Welcome back to We Built the City, Sir Richard Lease. On December the 1st, Sir Richard Lease steps down as the leader of Manchester City Council. For the past 25 years, he steered us to some incredible successes, from the Commonwealth Games to Manchester's new, almost unrecognisable skyline, to devolution, which means we now have a mayor, and it's hard to believe that only happened four years ago. Sir Richard has led us through some incredibly difficult times too. His tenure began in the few months before the IRA bomb in 1996, the same year I set up Roland Dransfield. 2017 was a really dark year in Manchester's history with the Manchester Arena bombing, and of course, he's been in charge during the pandemic too. We're putting this out on the day that he and his colleagues will be celebrating his tenure as it comes to an end. And as the baton is passed over to the brilliant Bev Craig, I wanted to take this opportunity to highlight what has been undoubtedly an amazing career. Sir Richard appeared on We Built This City in July 2020, just as hospitality was starting to open again. I wanted to bring you some of the highlights of that interview again. And as you'll hear, it's a great reflection of the achievements and challenges he's faced as leader of Manchester City Council. I also managed to grab Sir Richard this week over Zoom to discuss his emotions and reflections in the final days of this tenure and as he looks to his next venture. You'll hear that later on in the episode. Thank you for joining me today and We Built the City, Sir Richard. It's a pleasure. First of all, I want to know, how do you build a city? Well, I, th- I think if I go back to 1996, first of all, it was a, a, a physical rebuilding. And for some of that, um, it's experiences we'd had over the previous six years, particularly the work we'd done on the regeneration of, of Hume, where we rebuilt a whole neighbourhood for the second time. Uh, but I th- I'm delighted to say we've done a little bit better second time round than we did first time round because it's still uh, still going strong. But, but that's, I think, really where a lot of us learnt our regeneration skills, if you like. But I think the other thing we had going for ourselves as a city was we'd also, uh, through a range of things, not least the Olympic bids, built a whole range of relationships on now, a lot of people knew each other, were used to working together. So I think we had a good basis to uh, start that physical rebuilding of the city. Clearly, part of that was doing a, a master plan, a strategic plan. And that started off, well, what, what's wrong with our city centre? What doesn't work? And there are ingredients. We turn our back on the river. Uh, you've got from Shambles Square all the way through the Arndale, a real north-south impermeable block. Uh, we need to create permeability. Uh, those sorts of things that we said, right, let, let's just put some of those things right uh, and see where we uh, get to from that. And so I, I think there was a plan there. But we did something else, which I really only found out how fundamental it was probably about 20 years later, uh, which was that in terms of getting the city going, we were determined to get as many businesses up and running as quickly as possible. 
And the emergency fund that we created at that time, the Lord Mayor's Emergency Fund, wasn't to compensate people for loss. It was to support viable businesses to get up and running again. And that was probably the single most important thing we did at that at that time. Because what happens in a disaster is you lose capital. If you want to rebuild, you need more capital. So actually preventing that loss of capital was absolutely fundamental. We built this city, exploring the purposeful relationships that grow a community. So you're an adopted Mancunian, you were born in Mansfield and you came to Manchester as a youth worker and then joined City Council in 1984. Do you see yourself as a Mancunian now? Well, you said I'm an adopted Mancunian. I'm not an adopted Mancunian, I'm a Mancunian. I was born in Mansfield. I lived in Mansfield, something in Asheville, Kirby, in Asheville till I was 18. I lived in Coventry for nine years. But I think that there is a, something quite special about Manchester, that if you move to Manchester... If you fall in love with Manchester, if you adopt the values of Manchester, you become a Mancunian day one. You don't have to serve your time to become a Mancunian. So I say I am a Mancunian. And would you ever leave or is this your home for good now? Oh, this is my home for good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've lived in Crumpsall for 41 years. <laughs> Never mind Manchester. I'm not leaving Crumpsall anytime soon. So uh, I cannot imagine living anywhere else. It's uh, I, I, I love living in Manchester. It's sometimes amazing how like, the place chooses you or the people choose you, don't they? Well, I, I did end up here in Manchester. To a, I came for work, but that was even that was partially accidental. And I, I was living in Coventry. Uh, I'm not going to say anything derogatory about Coventry, but I didn't want to live in Coventry. And uh, I and my then partner, we basically picked a line, the, uh, the Manchester Leeds line, and uh, started looking. That's a, that, that's roughly where we want to be. Started looking for jobs in that area, and uh, the job I got was a job in in, in Manchester. And it, and it could have been disastrous. I could have ended up in Leeds, and then that would not have worked at all. <laughs> no, not for us either. <laughs> I mean, being a leader as well for twenty five years is no mean feat, and people must look to you for so many answers. But have you ever woken up in the morning and just thought, you know, I can't lead today. I just need to follow for a bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, the the job I do, this, these are approximate numbers. You spend about 75% of the time doing things you don't want to do in order to spend 25% of your time doing the things you do want to do. That's probably quite common in a lot of jobs and, yeah. and, and activities, really. And there are times you look at what's coming uh, up in the immediate future and think, oh, how are we going to deal with that? And there have been situations in the past where uh, really you get to what appears to be the, the absolute end. And at Commonwealth Games, uh, which everybody remembers as a glorious success because it was a glorious success, uh, with a year to go, we didn't have a budget for the Commonwealth Games. Uh, so actually our ability to plan, even with a year to go, was extremely limited. When you get into those sorts of situations, yeah, there is a temptation to just put your head under the pillow and uh, stay there for a long time. Yeah, I know there's some dark moments, aren't there? So what do you think makes a good leader, though? Well, I, th I think uh, understanding that uh, everything's done by teams, that you don't achieve anything much on your own. Even you know, world-class athletes, the Mo Farahs of this world, yes, they have talent, they have the discipline, but they also have a team uh, around them and having the right team makes a difference. So teamwork, partnership, working in that way is important. Leadership 
implies going somewhere, uh, having an idea where it is that you're going to always uh, helps. So having direction, having purpose. Obviously, pe- people need to buy into that direction and purpose, but being able to set an agenda being a, uh, uh, and to be able to articulate that agenda is really, really important. It is perseverance and uh, determination and obstinacy at, uh, at times. There are, uh, there are some of those qualities that uh, I, I think are required in order to, to be able to exercise leadership. So I, I think it's a mix of things, really, but I think probably... The one thing that underpins all of that is knowing that it's not all about you. It's it is about uh, the team. It's about all the people you need to do to be able to deliver. When we have induction for new councillors, which we have pretty much every year after local elections, one of the things I always say to councillors is that one thing you have to remember: it is the position that you occupy that is important, not you. Always remember uh, that, and that's it. Uh, that I have power because I'm leader of the council, not because I'm Richard Lee. And I have to remember uh, <laughs> that all the time as well. Mm. And you've obviously had an army of fantastic people behind you at the town hall, and you worked side by side with Sir Howard Bernstein for many years. Who else has been there to support you through challenging times? Uh, well, certainly uh, members. I, I am subject to an annual election to be leader of the Labour group. So, uh, uh, so uh, yeah, the support from members, there is the executive team there. Uh, too many that are in, in danger. If you start naming people, I could go on forever and ever and probably have to go on for uh, ever and ever because there are just so many people who have done a fantastic job over the last 25 years and are doing a fantastic job now. Over 25 years, I will have worked with probably thousands of, uh, of people and they've all played their part in building the city. Absolutely. And I think this city is renowned for that community and the connections so that you do feel, I mean, certainly we've been around for a while now, but you can pick the phone up and if you don't know somebody specifically, you can always ask for an introduction. The doors are very much open in the city, aren't they? Uh, they are. We need to keep it that way. It's, it's really important. Goes back to one of the questions you asked earlier about how you build a, a, a city, and I, I think it, uh, and you t- talked about Howard as well. Although I think the same is true about uh, Joanne. Is that yeah. uh, for people who wanted to do something in the city, they knew that if they got in touch with me or if they got in touch with Howard, we'd get back to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won't be just put into a sausage uh, uh, machine. You'd be able to have a conversation, and I think uh, that ability to respond and to respond reasonably quickly again is been a a crucial part of how we've been able to build the relationships and partnerships that is actually what has built the city. Mm, that's it's always said about Manchester isn't it that more perhaps than other cities we because of that attitude get stuff done we make decisions quickly and get on with stuff. This immediately following the Commonwealth Games and probably it took about 12 to 18 months um, uh, we did a piece of work looking about how we were going to build on the success of the Commonwealth Games. Not that we did have a plan beforehand, but I think for all of us, the success of the Commonwealth Games exceeded expectations. So we thought this is worth looking at about how we can do more than what we'd originally uh, planned for. And this is uh, trading slightly into your territory, but one of the things we did was to start looking at the branding of the city. And we recognised very, very quickly that this was not about logos or strap lines. The brand of the city was very clear. The brand was Manchester. The question was, what did that brand mean? What were the characteristics of the uh, of the brand? 
so we spend a lot of time developing an understanding of what the Manchester brand uh, meant. And it came out with a, a small number of particular characteristics. It, it is a live and let live city. It's what I talked about being an instant Mancunian. You come here and if you want to do stuff, the city lets you do stuff. As long as you can get on with things. It's actually a very tolerant uh, uh, city. It will welcome anybody from anywhere who wants to come and uh, come and do things. But also... It has an attitude, uh, and partly the attitude is a can-do attitude that we can get things done. And I think uh, understanding uh, that and those characteristics of the city has also helped us build it. So, uh, I mean, this was something after we'd gone through the whole of that exercise. It's what uh, Peter Saville characterised through the brand signifier of original modern. Uh, although, again, it's so great ideas you get from somebody else. I know Peter got that from somebody else. But what Peter re- realized, and this is the important thing, was that it was a great, it was, he realized it was a great idea. And that's the, uh, uh, that's, the, that's the knack, really, isn't it? When somebody else has a great idea, it's about, it's about recognizing it, mm-hmm. uh, really. So understanding the values of the city leads us to do things in a different way. So a a very clear example of that is Manchester International Festival, where we said to Alex Poots, design a festival that meets the values of this city. So the festival of first, newly commissioned work and and so on. It's not a festival like anywhere else, but it's a festival that is very much about the character of this uh, this city. And we try and adapt that to uh, everything we do. Because clearly... We want to maintain our distinctiveness as a city. We want people, when they come to Manchester, to know they are in Manchester, not any city anywhere. And I think we've been able to maintain that. This is the We Built the City podcast, celebrating the Mancunians that built and continue to build this amazing city. So there's been loads of events in your career. Are there any that you've enjoyed most or any periods of time that you've enjoyed most or felt have been the most significant in terms of progress or wins for the city? Oh, uh, lots. So if I look at the positives, there have been lots and lots. And I think what we did in uh, Hume in the, uh, well, we started them in 1990s has been, uh, uh, was a, f- a phenomenal experience. And to see an area change and change for the uh, uh, for the better is great. I think the rebuilding of the city centre post IRA bomb to see a plan come together and uh, be built on the ground. Oh yeah, that's what we had in mind. It's uh, doesn't always happen that way, but that that uh, that one did. And I think one of my favourite moments of that was uh, I think when we uh, constructed New Cathedral Street, and part of the concept of that w- was building that north-south connectivity that uh, had been lost and it's been able to stand at a point and see the cathedral in one direction and St Anne's Church in the other uh, direction a new view but that allowed you to see uh, along the city from the Middle Ages through to uh, the Georgian period with modern in, in between. It's, mm. uh, it, it, that, that was a, a magic moment. The Commonwealth Games was uh, uh, was a fantastic moment. The Manchester International Festival was a fantastic moment. Uh, I think what we've been able to do in neighbourhoods well, like Withenshaw, where uh, Withenshaw has gone from, at one point, it had the poorest super output area in the country. Now, 
I'm not saying that Withingshaw doesn't still have deprivation in too much of it, uh, really, but it's been transformed over the past uh, uh, 20 odd, odd years. And uh, I think it's even been a housing hotspot in the last few years uh, as well. O- other areas of the city, uh, city as well, um, Ancoats over the last few years and the last three or four years, that's been a fantastic transformation. The establishment of a new university, the merging of uh, UMIST and uh, uh, the old University of uh, Manchester, which had a few painful moments in it as well to get to that point, but uh, a real a real success there. So I think the regeneration process in East Manchester, which has still got another 10, 15 years to go, but uh, taking a, an area that was vast amounts of industrial dereliction and starting to see that come back to uh, life. So I think there are uh, lots and lots of things, but underpinned by, I think, s- statistics that our health still isn't good enough, but our kids are now doing far better at school than they were 20 odd uh, years ago. Uh, that families in general are, do, are are doing better. That we are having it's things that are having a positive impact on people's lives. If you're loving we built this city, please could you take the time to leave a five star review on your podcast platform? Thank you. So we talked before about values, and obviously we have the Roland Dransfield way, and that's fifteen values and principles we try and hold ourselves accountable to. Are there any in there that you can relate to most? I I think being value-driven is really, really important. How you phrase your values have got to suit you, your organisation, and and so on. So I I only feel comfortable about commenting on the City Council's uh, Mm -hmm. uh, own values. And the most important of, uh, of those, and the one that underpins everything else, is pride in the city. Uh, that I, I don't see how you can work for Manchester if you don't have pride uh, in, in in Manchester. And indeed, uh, in the past, I'm going back a while now, but I've addressed meetings of staff and I've asked the question of people working for the council, put your hand up if you feel uh, proud of Manchester. And I'm delighted to say the vast majority of people put their, uh, their hands up. But I've said to the rest is if you haven't got pride in the city, you shouldn't be working for us. Uh, so it is absolutely fundamental above all all else. We have an expression is, are you on the bus or off the bus? So that says it, doesn't it? You're either yeah. with Manchester or you're against. There's no, yeah. there's no kind of grey area there. No, it's, it's a yes or no. It's definitely yeah. a yes or no. Definitely. And one of our values is plant trees you'll never see. And that's leaving a legacy out of respect for those people who follow you. You've obviously planted a forest for Greater Manchester and your legacy is unquestionable, but are there any trees that you feel that still need to be planted? One of the discussions we've been having quite a lot of of, uh, of late and connected to uh, two things. One is the uh, Public Health England analysis of uh, the inequality impacts, the disparity impacts of COVID-19. Uh, the other is uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is that uh, what it brings home to you uh, very starkly is what whatever progress that we think we and we have made a lot of progress as a city that we still live in a very unequal uh, place and whilst we continue to live in a very unequal place there will always be a lot of trees to be planted you talked about pride in manchester and having to have a love of manchester so when you think about the city how does that actually make you feel Perhaps I use, use an example is, is that um, I remember going back to the 80s and uh, 
maybe go away with a family on holiday and go to somewhere elsewhere in Europe, go to other cities. And uh, I used to think, I wish Manchester was like this. I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore because uh, I, I go and say, oh, Manchester's better than this. Uh, and that's that's how I feel. And what do you miss most about the city when you're away? Oh, I, I think I love the buzz of urban life. You know, I, I think like people who live in the uh, live in the countryside, I really just don't get it at all. Uh, really, it's a bit like going to hell early. As far as I'm <laughs> it's, uh, uh, I just don't understand how you you know where you have to drive everywhere, even to go you know get a newspaper. You have to drive. I don't that you might commute two hours to get uh, to get to get to work. Now I like the countryside. You know, I went walking uh, up on uh, Stanage Edge uh, last week. It was fantastic. It's easy, easy range. But uh, no, I, I love the buzz of urban uh, life. So I'm going to ask you some quick fire Manchester questions now, Sir Richard. So, favourite building in Manchester? I think if I was to go for a modern building, it would be the Civil Justice Centre. Uh, still don't think that's been surpassed of stuff that's been built over the uh, last 20 years. Mm. Clearly, in terms of uh, uh, older buildings, it is Manchester Town Hall. It is absolutely magnificent. They're my mum's two favourite buildings in the city centre. She'll be pleased you <laughs> said that. <laughs> Your mum obviously has impeccable taste. She does. <laughs> so what do you order at the Chippy? Believe it or not, I cannot remember the last time I went to the Chippy. I don't do takeaways, uh, really. So uh, if I did order anything, well, actually, it would have been uh, fish, chips and mushy peas. Yeah, definitely. You need to give it another go. Well, I've, I've uh, again, the advantage of lockdown is I've been doing my own mushy peas. And actually, homemade are better than what you get from a chippy. Right. Well, after this, I'll find out the recipe because I love mushy peas. What do you think the best thing is to come out of Manchester? I'd have to say, and, and it's not a thing, but all the great social movements that have been spawned within the, the city. And there, there are a lot of those but I am going to pick one, which is women's emancipation, because it's impacted on 50% of the population. So, well, actually impacted on 100% of the population, but 50% in particular. But uh, but all of those, the, the great social movements around our working class history, the trade union movement, free trade, a whole range of stuff that I think is a city we have spawned and have continued to uh, spawn over the uh, centuries. Sir Richard, on We Built This City, we want to celebrate your illustrious 25-year career as leader of Manchester City Council as you hand over to our next leader, Bev Craig. And it's a few days away now from the official passing of the baton. So can I ask how you're feeling and what you're reflecting on? Well, first of all, I'm more looking forward than reflecting. I'm now Chair-Designate of the Greater Manchester Integrated Care Board. Uh, clearly, that is about making sure we provide good health and care services, but it's also about tackling population health, health inequalities, the role of the NHS in the wider economy. It's an agenda that I find 
really, really exciting. So I'm looking forward rather than looking uh, <laughs> looking backwards. But although uh, I'm still leader of the council, I'm also having to uh, do an increasing amount in the new role as well. So I think I'm actually looking forward to when I'm just doing one thing rather than uh, two things. So yeah, yeah uh, look, uh, it's a decision I made a long time ago. I think it's the right decision. There is nothing that would persuade me to change my mind that it's wrong. And once you've made the decision, it's a certain thing, you just want it to be done, don't you? Mm. I was going to ask you, did you ever waver after you'd made that decision? There was no going back at all, no? No wavering. <laughs> Indeed, since I made the decision, I was more and more convinced it was the right decision. It's one of the things you think about, how do you kind of keep going for uh, 25 years? And to a certain extent, it's almost a, a constant process of reinvention. And that's mm. uh, there is something else that, you, that you're doing that is challenging, demanding, you want to see through over a period of time. I think it was earlier this year, I was looking at the just the in almost the internal agenda for the city council, never mind our external agenda within the city. And I can see a really exciting agenda and challenging agenda, a difficult agenda there. But I also thought, no, I don't want to start that. That's some, that's somebody else's job now. <laughs> and do you think that when you wake up on the 2nd of December, you're going to feel excitement about the future? You're not going to think, the week later or you know they're doing that wrong or I want to get involved in there do you think you're going to be able to check out basically from this job uh, look I, I'm kind of realistic that there are difficulties in doing that but it's what I've told Bev and I mean it is that come December the 1st at that moment I will stop giving Bev any advice I won't comment on anything she does if she ever wants to give me a call, she can give me a call at any time, but but that's it. I will move on and I'll move forward. I'm going to be doing something else. Mm. Well, we've talked about in the past, the fact that you work round the clock and you've done that for 25 years. Are you going to be able to have any time to kind of take stock and have a rest at all, put your feet up for a little bit? The new role is normally... Uh, part-time it's also clearly although it's a big role it's far more focused and mm. the city council role I can be doing 10 different things in a, in a day really jumping from one thing to another that would appear to be completely disconnected things and here whilst I say it is a big role but it is dealing with health and uh, care and the role of health and care in broader society dealing with social determinants of poor health not just the curing of ill people or the caring for people who've got particular needs but it is one focused activity and that ought to mean that uh, yes I will have slightly more time for family walking watching cricket and all the other things I want to do. But you're somebody who has said, and it made me laugh my head off, is the fact that, you know, why would you want to live in the countryside? You don't get it. But you obviously, you spend a lot of time in the city. Do you, you still feel that that's just kind of a, a way to kick your heels and relax a little bit, but you're very much tied to the city, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I like living in an urban environment. Not, not only do I not get the countryside, I don't really get suburbia either. It's why anybody would want to live uh, like that, I don't know. I don't get car-dependent existences whatsoever. We're not going to miss you around the city centre. We're still going to see you using that shoe leather up, are we, over the coming Oh, uh, absolutely. It's uh, one of the places that almost certainly benefit uh, from me having a bit more time will be home. I'll be going to the cinema yeah. rather more than I have of, uh, of late, and uh, I'll still be trying to get my fair share of meals 
etc etc still going to gigs i've got quite a few gigs uh, line lined up so yes i will Fantastic. most definitely be in the city center and it will be either uh, as now walking biking or public transport and so, I mean, just going back to talking about having one single focus, and it's interesting that Gary Neville was talking about this recently, saying that he's, he looks at his life in chunks and he sees in perhaps the next three to five years or beyond, say, the age of 50, he's quite keen to narrow that focus and look at one role that he can really absorb himself in. I've thought about what you just said then. I think for me, you know, obviously I started Roland Dransfield a similar time that you took on the role as leader. And I feel that I'm over, I have to be over so many things that if I actually stopped doing what I do at Roland Dransfield and focused on something, which would probably be charity work, I can't quite get my head around as how I'd actually have such single-minded commitment to one thing. So is that going to be a different management style for you, a different leadership style? Well, it's certainly going to be a different leadership style because, first of all, the NHS is a very different institution to mm. uh, local government and very different culture. Indeed, I'm probably going to be suffering culture shock by the middle of January and, and, and dealing with that. So, and that from that point of view, there'll be a lot, quite a lot to learn about how different systems work. And uh, yeah, and I'll be adopting a different style. But I suppose what's sad is that there are lots of things that I'm interested in, lots of things I want to do that I don't have time to do. And I will be making sure that I spend time doing those things that I probably missed out on quite a lot through being a leader of the council, including some of the, you know, the family stuff as well. And what would you say that you're taking with you that you've learned from your current role into the new one? Probably now for... Well, certainly eight or nine years, I've been arguing and making the case a lot for that we need to deliver public services in a, a different way. And particularly for those people, wherever they are, that have uh, higher le- levels of need or need higher levels of, of support. And it is that we need to organise public services around people rather than making people fit into how we organise public services. And we've done, I think, quite a lot of that uh, already. Indeed, working with health colleagues within the existing devolutionary and integration arrangements. Mm. But I think we'll be taking that experience and trying to build on that experience and hopefully make make sure that we're pursuing that different approach uh, in every part of Greater Manchester. Mm. It's come at a time when that's even more important post-COVID, I take it. So it's kind of interesting timing, isn't it now? It is. Um, as well as the very real pressures we see on the health and care system that are no longer just COVID related. We're still in pandemic, of course, and mm. there are still COVID pressures, but we're seeing a lot of other pressures coming out of perhaps people have de- delayed seeking treatment because of COVID. Certainly a massive increase in mental health referrals resulting out of COVID. And all of that says that we're going to have to find different ways of doing things or uh, we are going to uh, effectively, I think, uh, fall over at some point. So, mm-hmm. yes, I think the demand to do things differently is even greater uh, now. But I do think we know a lot more about what it is that we need to do. It is really whether we can uh, build up the impetus to, to start doing the stuff in a different way. There is something quite fundamental around this, which is also a challenge, that when we start talking about population health, Step one, 
probably the most important step is to get people to take responsibility for their own health. And if people don't take responsibility, there's probably not a lot that we can do. And if if you look at the still uh, three biggest causes of premature death, it's lack of exercise, it's poor diet and it's smoking. Those are things that uh, hospitals can't do and doctors can't do and social workers can't do unless people are willing and trying to do it for themselves. What does Manchester look like? I mean, how do we compare to the rest of the country with those statistics, you know, in terms of our health and well-being? If you look at life expectancy and healthy life life expectancy, we don't do very well. Uh, We do have some of the worst health in the uh, country. If you look at levels of obesity, we don't do well on that we do pretty well on smoking cessation actually we've been and particularly on uh, pregnant women giving up smoking but so there are some bits we do do well on and we're not that bad on uh, active lifestyles as well the number well uh, certainly up until covid the number of people who were engaging in physical activity uh, was looking far more positive covid's actually had a negative impact on uh, on that so for uh, everybody that's uh, been tramping around their local park can't go anywhere else there are a lot of people that have not been doing anything uh, uh, at all so it's a mixed picture but overall our health statistics are not good and particularly our health equality or inequality statistics are really not good and values obviously you know very important at Roland Ransfield and when we last spoke you told me that having pride in the city was the value that was most important to you is there anything looking back over those 25 years that you could say you're most proud of oh uh, it's not an individual thing um and there, there are quite a lot of uh, individual things I can be uh, say I can be uh, proud of. I think the creation of combined authorities, changing the, the way we do local governance in this country is is an achievement. There are things like uh, Rogue Studios out in Varna Street that I'm proud of. Actually, our Building Schools for the Future uh, programme that we rebuilt or brought up to as new standard every single high school in Manchester. We've rebuilt a lot of primary schools as well. So there's lots of individual things like that. Hume, uh, which we started 30 odd years ago uh, it's still the most i think successful large-scale regeneration program in the country the rebuilding of the city center the commonwealth games manchester international festival there's a whole load of stuff but (laughs) but but cities are essentially about the people who live in them not the things and the buildings and and so on and i think what i'm most proud of is that if you go back to the uh, 1980s and the recession and the loss of our manufacturing industry this was a city on its knees it's a a city that uh, traditionally was full of attitude full of confidence that had gone Mm. it's got that back this is once again it's a a proud self-confident city it's a city that believes it can do things and I think the fact that we now have a Manchester like that is probably the thing I'll be proudest of. Yeah, makes me feel so emotional just thinking about that. When I started my career in 1990, it was on Salford Crescent and I'd walk into Manchester from a bar job in the evening and, you know, it's a dangerous place. It was that all of the buildings were black and you walk around the city now and, well, we've just been named um, third best international city, haven't we? Um, But that must be an incredible moment to think after 25 years, you know, we have been called out as an international global city. 
It's interesting, Lisa, you say you were walking in uh, in 1990 for a bar job. There weren't actually that many bars you could have walked in. So, so true. Yeah. So true. Uh, Gamda's Go South in Barton Arcade, that was about one of the only bars that, you, that was going, I think, at the time. Well, there was. And, and places to eat in 1990 were almost non-existent, out, mm. particularly outside, well, outside Chinatown and uh, hotels. There was mm. pretty much nothing, uh, really. And of course... In 1990, the resident population of the city centre was around about 500, and that's largely, you know, landlord, landladies, uh, caretakers. The sort of population we see now simply did not uh, uh, not exist, and I think that transformation that's taken place there. Although, even now, that's probably less than it's probably about seven percent, six percent of the city's population. Uh, so it's certainly not not everything, but it is a very visible symbol of what Manchester has become over that time. Yeah, absolutely. One other question I wanted to ask you is, given the fact that you can have a bit more time off work now, when we actually last spoke, you told us that you've been perfecting the perfect mushy pea recipe in lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> and since we recorded that podcast, so many people have asked me about the mushy peas. So are you still making mushy peas now? I am, I am still making uh, mush, mushy peas. They do come in a cardboard box, you know. But it's, uh, oh, no. Uh, well, no, no, well, they, no, they're dried peas, aren't they? The yeah. Mushy peas come from dried peas. Yes. And, and it's about the remembering... Get the proper ones, not the the quick mushy peas. The, the quick yeah. ones don't really work. It's remembering that if you're going to have mushy peas for tea tonight, you need to have put them to soak the night before. That's a really important <laughs> thing. Otherwise, you're not having mushy peas. I get you. I see what you mean. I thought you meant all this time. I believed you and you were cheating because you can get mushy peas already done in a cardboard box. So I, I believe oh, you. Oh, know. no, 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 no. This, this is a proper this soaking, soaking job. <laughs> Yeah, a proper soaking job. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. And so just lastly, um, what would you like to say to all the listeners of We Built the City who are born, bred or adopted Manx from all over the world, actually, now who love the bones of this place and who have also contributed to making the city what it is? Well, I'm going to say thank you, actually, because what I've got now is, uh, with a bit more time on my hands, is an absolutely fantastic city to enjoy that I didn't have 25 years ago. That's very true. Great shout. And thank you. Make sure you do have a rest and you do have some time to yourself. And I just wanted to say from Roland Dransfield, thank you for being a real ally to us. And it's been an absolute privilege to work with you in that time. I'm looking forward to your new role and seeing you around the city even more now. So thank you for building this city, Sir Richard. Thanks very much, Lisa. Sir Richard Lees has built the city by making Manchester fit the people and not making the people fit Manchester. By having pride in Manchester every single day, and by knowing that preparation is key to everything, even the perfect mushy peas. On the next episode of We Built This City, you'll hear from another incredible born, bred or adopted Manc. If you want to find out more about how Roland Dransfield can help you drive your values and create relationships that build your business success, then head over to rdpr.co.uk or you can find us on Instagram at Roland Dransfield or Twitter at RDPR Tweets. Or feel free to give us a call at the office on the same number we've had for 25 years on 0161 236 1122. In the meantime, don't forget to rate, review and follow. Thank you.